Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Lord, you've already been so gracious to us to extend your grace through the singing of praises, through fellowship, through laughter, through even talking about body life, events that we have to just foster the one another's. Lord, you have been so gracious to us already, and we pray that you would help us to, Lord, have soft and tender hearts even as we open up your word now. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word that encourages us, that convicts us, that challenges us to, Lord, live in the midst of a wicked and perverse generation in a way that exalts Christ. Help us to do that in response to your word this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, open your Bibles to Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13, verses 28 through 37 is our text for this morning. And if you're able to stand with me, please stand for the reading of God's word. Mark 13, verses 28 through 37. This is God's word. Now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. Even so, you too, when you see these things happening, recognize that he is near right at the door. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But of that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Take heed, keep on the alert, for you do not know when the appointed time will come. It is like a man away on a journey who, upon leaving his house and putting his slaves in charge, assigning to each one his task, also commanded the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening, at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, in case he should come suddenly and find you asleep. What I say to you, I say to all, be on the alert. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. The title of this morning's message is, Are You Ready? For Christ's return. Are you ready for Christ's return? And as we've seen in this famous sermon by the Lord Jesus, he has pulled back the curtain, if you will, to show us what will happen in the future here in this sermon on the Mount of Olives. He has described for us the last days and how things will progressively get worse and escalate to an unprecedented level before the return of Jesus. He's told us about this. And I don't know about you, but as you've pondered the, the uh, Sermon on the Mount of Olives, I don't know if you've found this ironic or even encouraging, we might say, that in all that Jesus says, he preaches this sermon at the top of the Mount of Olives. You ask, Pastor, why is that so encouraging to us? Why is that such a big deal? And the answer is this, that it's significant and it should be so encouraging for us. Because Zechariah chapter 14, verse 4, says that when the Messiah returns to earth, where will his feet land on? The top of the Mount of Olives. In other words, at his second coming, according to Zechariah chapter 14, verse 4, it says that Jesus will land on the very location upon which he is speaking right now. And so what a moment. What a moment. Here is our Savior in his humility at the top of the Mount of Olives, preaching a sermon, speaking of his future glory, and in the future, it's that precise location where Jesus will land in the future. I think that's just amazing, isn't it? Now, as one of my seminary professors uh, would say back in the day, every sermon, every good sermon especially, has a so what. In other words, every sermon calls for a, a response. Every sermon must have a call to action, and this sermon, beloved, is no different. Because what we have here this morning is the so what of Jesus' sermon at the top of the Mount of Olives, the Olivet Discourse. And we're reminded in this passage this morning that rather than puffing up our heads with knowledge of the last days, that this understanding of the end times, of what is to happen before the return of Christ, should catapult us to a life of obedience before God, in the here and now. I've told you this before. An understanding of the future shapes how we live in the present. Amen? 
An understanding of future things shapes or should shape by the grace of God and in the power of the Spirit how we live in the present. In other words, that Christ is returning to make all things new fuels the way we live in the present time on mission here in this world. And so as we look at the conclusion of Jesus' amazing sermon here in Mark 13 and verses 28 through 37, here are three lessons, three lessons, three takeaways from our Lord's powerful sermon that we must apply ourselves to if we are to live well and on mission in this earth, okay? Lesson number one. Lesson number one. We must live watchful in light of the Lord's return. You and I must live watchful in light of the Lord's return in verses 28 and 29. It's through this parable in verses 28 through 29 that Jesus instructs his disciples that they should maintain a sense of of awareness of the times. Look at verse 28. He says, now learn the parable from the fig tree. Learn the parable from the fig tree. Here's the master illustrator, the master teacher, once again, drawing a spiritual truth from the agricultural context of his day regarding fig trees. I remember back in Mark chapter 11, Jesus used the illustration of the cursing of a fig tree to symbolize God's rejection of the nation of Israel. That like a cursed fig tree, Israel as a nation had failed to produce fruit. But here what our Lord is doing is he's not referring to Israel as a nation. Instead, he's using a literal fig tree to make a point about living watchful, about living alertly about living vigilantly in the light of his soon return, in the light of the events that he has described. He says, learn the parable from the fig tree. And the idea is, learn by careful observation. Learn by careful observation. When it's branch, the fig tree has, be- has already become tender, he says, and puts forth its leaves, you know by observation that summer is near. Again, he's appealing to them based upon common knowledge. And his disciples would understand this process that a fig tree would go through. That sometime in the spring, sap would begin to flow through the branches of a fig tree. And that then as those branches became soft and tender and ripe, those branches would then grow leaves. And that was a sign, as you observe that fig tree, that summer was near. This is an easy illustration for the disciples to understand based on common knowledge. But the question is, what's the lesson, Lord? What's the lesson? Look at verse 29. Even so, he says, just as you can discern from the process of watching a fig tree that summer is near, you too, when you see these things happening, what things, Lord? What things? Well, the birth pangs of verses 14 to 23. Those growing troubles that will befall the world. When you see these things happening, recognize that he is near right at the door. Right at the door. You know, as a dad, one of my favorite memories of watching my kids growing up was coming home from work and being welcomed by very excited, running little ones all over the courtyards that we lived at. Um, They knew the signs of daddy's arrival. Okay, We lived in a 20-unit apartment complex in Santa Clarita at the time, and Before you entered the actual complex, the courtyard of that building, you had to ring the doorbell to that particular apartment from outside of a walking gate before you walked in. And so, you know, around three or four, my wife would instruct the kids that they needed to clean up uh, after homeschooling and all of that and get the house cleaned up and get themselves cleaned up because soon daddy would arrive. And of course, they would go do that, right? After probably some discipline issues here and there. (laughs) They would go clean up. And mama would start to cook dinner. And they could smell the dinner and all of that. And the ultimate thing for them, the ultimate sign was the bell, right? When the bell to apartment number six rang, who was out outside of the, door, uh, of the gate? Daddy was there. Now, yes, for some of you, there, didn't you have a key to get in? Yes, I had a key. But I enjoyed the process, okay, of them running out of apartment number six. So they knew the time. Daddy would arrive sometime between 5 and 6. Let's clean up a little bit before that. He's going to arrive generally around that time. And mom would begin to cook dinner. And dinner would be on the table and all of that ready. And then the bell would ring. And I love it. As soon as they would hear that bell to apartment number 6, you all of a sudden you would see that, that, that front door of apartment number 6 just fly open. 
And three little ones will run out of that uh, door and immediately make their way over to the front of the complex outside of the gate, yelling, Daddy, 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 frantically and excited. It was a wonderful memory. But beloved, that's the idea here, isn't it? Jesus says, I've outlined for you, reader, audience, Calvary Bible Church, I've I've outlined for you the signs that you are to pay attention to so that you are alert and watchful and live accordingly. That's the idea here. Live in the light of these great realities. Again, an understanding of future things shapes, informs how we live in the present time. And beloved, if if Jesus' words, think about this. If Jesus' words were true then, how much more now, 2,000 years later? How much more should we live watchful in the present time? In the light of these things that are to befall humanity. How much more should we seek to not live with a, with a purposeless approach to life? How much more should we live with a sense of intentionality? In fact, even in Jesus' day, you know that Jesus condemned the religious leaders of his day for not understanding the signs of the times and therefore acting accordingly. In Matthew chapter 16 and verse 3, Jesus said to them, Do you know, religious leaders, how to discern the appearance of the sky, but cannot discern the signs of the times? In other words, how is it that you know so much about the weather, but as little as you know about the weather, you know much less about what's happening in your day and age, who's standing before you so as to believe in me, so as to act accordingly? What was Jesus getting at? That it was, it was foolish and naive for them not to recognize what was taking place before their very eyes and therefore living out the implications of the great reality of Christ before them, right? This is a lesson for us as well, isn't it? Can I ask you this morning, could it be said about you today, brethren, that you are spiritually asleep in these days? That you are spiritually slumbering? That you are living naive and foolishly? oblivious to the great spiritual dangers around you. May I ask you this morning, as you've observed and experienced this past year, in unprecedented days, the trouble of this past year, has it done anything for you spiritually? As God has triaged our hearts and put our hearts on the surgeon, the ultimate surgeon's table, so to speak, what has God exposed in your life? And have you responded to that? Have you repented of those sins that He has exposed in your life? Have you come to rest in Christ as your Lord and Savior? As you've seen death all around us, as you've seen hatred and hostility all over our country and all over our world, what have the events of the last year done for you, spiritually speaking? This is what our Lord wants us to hear this morning. There have been some unprecedented things that have happened in our world, right? I hear from fellow pastors, leaders, both within this church and outside of this church, partners in the the faith. Recently, I had an opportunity to speak to a man who's been in the same pulpit almost 50 years. And he himself told me, now in his late 70s, you know what, I've never seen times like these in all of my ministry. In all of my days. I've seen a lot of things. I've never seen anything like this. These are unprecedented times. And beloved, listen. Yet some of us are like the proverbial ostrich, right? With your head stuck in the sand. You're simply ignorant of what's going on, which is not an excuse either. But for others of us, we are just flat out sinfully neglectful of our souls, even in the midst of the things that we've seen and we we witness in our country. How sad. This type of spiritual lethargy and complacency is a problem. And it's a problem for all of us, but especially the younger that you are, right? Lethargy and spiritual complacency can be a problem. It is a problem for all of us, but especially the younger that you are. Because the younger that you are, the more that you can lie to yourself, thinking to yourself that the next day is guaranteed, I'm going to live forever. We might even subtly think that way. You know, all things will remain as they presently are. Right now, in the here and now, I just want to have fun. I just want to make sure that I'm not living life restricted. Later on, tomorrow, I will get my life right with the Lord. 
tomorrow. But hear me, tomorrow may not come. Haven't we experienced and known friends and dear family and dear ones that we've, we've lost the last year to a year and a half? Do you think that they expected that tomorrow wouldn't come, beloved? Tomorrow may not come for us. Listen to me, especially you who are younger. As quickly as you can blink, understand that times are changing, right? Times are changing. You need to get your relationship right with the Lord if you haven't. You need to turn from your sins and trust in Christ, having heard the message of the gospel again and again and again. And for all of us, beloved, Jesus would say to us this morning, be watchful. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up, Calvary Bible Church. We need to arise from our spiritual slumber. Know what you believe. Make a stand by conviction for Christ in in the midst of this wicked and perverse generation. Preach Christ. Recognize that there's a spiritual war for your mind, for your devotion, for your heart affections, which drive everything in your life, right? It's spiritual war. Ephesians chapter 6. We fight not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Wake up, our Lord would say. And so how are you redeeming the time knowing that the days are evil? What are you doing to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness now, not later? And listen to me, don't lie to yourself thinking, well, I'm just neutral in this whole thing, okay? You know, Pastor, you're like ranting and raving up there. I'm neutral. Listen, I'm not against Christianity. I just don't want to follow this Jesus. It's cool that you guys are following Jesus. I am neutral. Listen, there is no neutral, no neutral whatsoever. As Calvin said, our hearts are like like. Factories of worship. Factories of idols. You are always worshiping something or someone. You're never neutral. There is no middle ground. You're either for Christ or you're for Satan and his evil minions. You're either living for Jesus or you're living for yourself. Whatever that looks like in your life, wake up. Wake up from your spiritual slumber. Wake up from your spiritual lethargy in the light of the Lord's return. Stop wasting time. For some of you, stop wasting time. Stop squandering the time and the energy and the resources that God has loaned you for a time. Did you get that? He's loaned you those things for a time and you will give an account for how you lived your life. Give glory to God by stewarding God's time, His resources, His energy that He's given you for the benefit of others and for His glory. Amen? So the first question for us, Are you living watchful, vigilant in the light of Christ's return? Second, lesson number two, we must live hopeful. We must live hopeful in light of his return. Look at verses 30 and 31. These are, to be sure, difficult seasons that we are living in. Amen? Have you felt it, beloved? I have. And how easy it is, in the midst of these difficulties and these troubling times, tumultuous times in which we're living, For we as Christians even to to be fearful of the times that we're living in. To even grow pessimistic. You know, what's the use? This whole thing is going down the tank. You know what? Who cares? Or even to respond skeptical of there being any hope amidst such growing hostility to Christianity in our country. We've all been led to emotions like this and others perhaps. But we are assured here by our Lord that we should live with confident hope in light of his return. Look at verse 30. Jesus says, truly, I say to you. This is Jesus' way of saying what I'm about to say is absolutely reliable. Pay attention. Listen. Truly, I say to you that this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. In other words, you can bank on the fact that this, these things, including my return, will happen. Will happen. Now, as I mentioned at the beginning of our study of Mark 13 a few weeks ago, there are some who take a position known as preterism, preterists, preterism, who would basically say, generally speaking, that most if not all of the events we see in Mark 13 happened already during the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in A.D. 70 by the Romans. 
And so verse 30 is one of the key verses for them. They would say, see, Jesus says that the generation of his day, that that particular generation that he was speaking to at the time in that historical context would not die until all these things would happen. Thus, you see, everything has taken place. All we are waiting for is the return of Christ. But as we've seen, there is no way that you can read Mark 13, taking it at face value, I would put it, and say that the catastrophic, uh, catastrophic events, this chaos that we've seen and we've dissected, that these things are figurative and that they've taken place already. For example, can we say that the sun and the moon have ceased to give their light? That stars are falling from the sky? Tearing up and destroying everything? Mark 10, uh, 13 verse 10, has the gospel been preached to all the nations? I know brethren in other places of the world who would tell you absolutely not. There are people who still haven't heard the gospel. And so not quite. So the question is, what is our Lord saying then? What is he saying there? Well, he's speaking prophetically, isn't he? He's speaking prophetically. This is prophetic language. And within that particular prophetic language, Jesus is projecting what will happen in the future. It's as if we, we hopped on, if you will, to the ultimate time machine, the Jesus time machine, right? And we went back to the future, and we're seeing right now the future through the very eyes of Jesus. And Jesus is saying to us, that particular generation living then in the future, when these things take place, will not pass away until everything is fulfilled that I've said. That's what he's saying. And his point is, these things are absolutely certain. You can bank on these things. As sure as my word is certain, so these things are certain. Look at verse 31. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. The universe as we've seen, as we know it, will be catapulted into chaos, utter destruction, as Jesus has described. But by strong contrast, he says in verse 31, my word is stable. My word will stand. These things will surely come to pass because my word is certain. As certain as God's character is, so his word is absolutely certain. Certain, excuse me. Absolutely dependable. Absolutely trustworthy. Psalm 19.7. The testimony of the Lord is sure, the psalmist says. In other words, dependable, reliable. Psalm 93 verse 5. Your testimonies, Lord, are fully confirmed. You've confirmed them. In other words, they are absolutely faithful, absolutely trustworthy, absolutely dependable, absolutely certain. What hope? What hope? Boy, in the midst of hearing all of these terrifying events, these disciples must have been just comforted and encouraged by Jesus' words here. That yes, the Lord would destroy the universe one day future, and they were to live in the light of that, but he would also, in accordance with his word, return and gather his people for himself, that they would have hope. Amen? And we can as well, beloved. In these uncertain times, listen. When, where things seem to be spiraling downward, going downhill real fast, the one thing that we can bank on is the character of our unchanging, holy, just, good God. Amen? He is worthy to be trusted. You just heard from the testimonies. They begin to look at God rather than their own circumstances that were passing. Rather than the pleasures of their sin, they begin to trust God because He is unchanging. He is certain. He sent His Son Jesus into the world to die and pay for sins, right? And to rise from the dead, conquering sin and death. He is worthy to be trusted. And this is why, by God's grace, we can continue to live well in this world, beloved. Because we can trust His Word. We can depend upon His unchanging Word. Listen to Isaiah 40 and verse 8. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of God, what? What? Abides forever. Abides forever. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. 
For you have been born again, Peter says to believers, not of seed which is perishable, here it is, but imperishable, that is through the living and abiding Word of God. I love that, living and abiding, as opposed to dead, as opposed to dormant. It is living, it is active, it is sharper than any two-edged sword, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says. And Jesus said in Luke 16, 17, it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of a letter of the law to fail. God's word will come to pass. Our sure hope is on the word of God, beloved. It's on the word of God and on his sure promises. See, our hope is only as strong as the object of our hope, right? Our hope is only as strong as the object of our hope. If your hope is based upon the stability of your circumstances, you will surely live life very joyless and very hopeless because life and circumstances are constantly changing. Have we not tasted of that this past year? Yes or no? Yes. Our circumstances are ever morphing, often difficult, often discouraging. They're not stable. If our hope is on people, if your hope is on people this morning, let us know how that goes, okay? Seriously, let us know how that goes. People are imperfect. People are flawed. We're constantly changing. People have and will let you down and vice versa. We've let people down and fallen short many a time. Don't put your trust in people. Don't put your hope in people. Don't anchor your hope in possessions. Is your hope in possessions this morning? Be careful with that. What did Jesus say? Man's life will not consist of his possessions. In other words, man's hope must not be in what he accumulates, in the toys that he gathers to himself on this earth, in what he owns. Those things will surely burn one day, brothers and sisters. Don't anchor your hope in your possessions, in your job, in your materialism, in houses and cars and all of those things. Praise God if he's given us those things so that we can use them for his glory as we serve other people. But don't anchor your hope in those things. Perhaps your hope today is on a better government. How has that worked for you? Really? It's funny, but for some of us, we really put our hope in the elections right? On some utopian society for others of us, where somehow everything is going to get better through sociopolitical reform. How has that gone for you if you trusted in those things? Or maybe you continue to trust in those things rather than the gospel. Oh, pastor, you're so negative, so pessimistic. No, seriously. I'm very excited to be on earth. What? I am. We are here for such a time as this in Los Angeles, in Heathen, California. Can you smell the fires of hell from California? I can, right? <laughs> Amen? Amen? Beloved, I'm amazed at the opportunity that we have as Christians right now. I am super optimistic, but listen to me. It's not in those things that I just mentioned or anything else. It's only because of the life-changing message of the powerful gospel, the bomb of the gospel that is able to transform a human heart and make people right before God so that one day they're a part by faith of a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells and there will be no more evil, no more pain, no more tears, no more hostility, no more hatred. Amen? You want to be a part of that world? I do. I do. I'm absolutely resolved, and I hope that you are as well because of the word of God that we have. Because of the bomb of the gospel that is able to change the lives of people from within where the problem is. That is able to deal with the problem of the human sin and the human heart that leads to devastation and hostility and Hatred and racism and all of those things. Only the gospel can transform a person from within so that all of the evils in society will not only in the present but forevermore be completely eliminated and extinguished. Amen? 
That's why it's about Christ. He is the gospel. He is the good news. Preach Jesus, his person and his work, his perfect life, his redemptive death on the cross, his glorious resurrection, his ascension, his exaltation, and his soon return. Preach the gospel, beloved. Share the gospel with family members and neighbors and co-workers. Do that. Don't make life about secondary peripheral matters. Gospel. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. Amen? One of my favorite texts to return to again and again these days is 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. Turn there. 1 Peter 1 and verse 3. And be reminded of how the word of God that never passes away gives us hope. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God And Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Peter says, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again, watch this, underline this, to a living hope. 1 Peter 1.3, to a living hope, as opposed to a dead one, as opposed to a a possible hope, as opposed to a non-existent reality that the world calls hope. It's a living hope, Peter says. And this hope, notice, is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And what is the substance of this hope? He says, to obtain an inheritance. Oh, man. Beloved, do you know that if you've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have one, beloved? You have an inheritance. And this morning, you can have an inheritance if you bow the knee to King Jesus. We have an inheritance Jesus has one for you if you've trusted in him. He's keeping it for you. Oh, please tell me about this inheritance, Peter. It's an inheritance, notice verse 4, which is imperishable. That means it won't pass away. Nothing on earth can touch it. And undefiled, that means it cannot be corrupted or polluted. And will not fade away, that is, it cannot decay or wither like an earthly flower or tree or anything else for that matter that is on on the earth. In other words, this inheritance is untouchable. Why is this? Why is this? Because, end of verse 4, it's reserved where? Where? In heaven for you, Christian. What a privilege. For you, personalize that. For me, by faith in Jesus, because of Christ's person and work, I actually have an inheritance. Jesus has procured this for me, is preserving it, is keeping it for me in heaven. Yes and amen. Yes and amen, who are protected by the power of God for his salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Wow, we have a hope, beloved. We have a hope that is sure because of Jesus. And so we're called to live with hope, not because of favorable circumstances or the absence of difficulties or troubles in this world, but in the light of God's sure promises in his word, including his return. Amen? Third, third, third lesson. Live faithful in light of his return. Live faithful in the light of his return, verses 32 to 37. Though Jesus says his return is certain, as his word is certain, he's just told us that, the precise moment of his coming is a matter, notice, of divine insight. Verse 32. But of that day, in other words, that precise moment or hour, no one knows. No one knows. Boy, this should rule out the charlatans that we've been listening to the last year right do you know that i have inside information if you send me your money if you send me your dough i will tell you exactly when this jesus is going to in fact he's already in the world i tell you where he's at right we laugh but that's what that's what guys are doing these days this rules that out i was reading this week just another self-acclaimed so-called present-day prophet, some charlatan supposedly telling us when the Antichrist will come and how he's already on this earth. I mean, this type of thing has been going on and on and on for a long, long time, right? Well, here's a subtle warning by our Lord not to spend our lives speculating about the when of these things and the exact timing of such matters. Is it bad to study and to get into God's Word and to saturate ourselves with those truth to try to understand these things? Absolutely. But be careful. Be careful. That in maybe a subtle form of pride, you don't think that exact timing and specifics and all of that is ultimately something that we can determine in such things of mystery such as the last days. 
Jesus says, no one knows the precise moment. Notice, not even the angels in heaven. Wow, that's privileged information. Those guys are hanging around heaven all the time, right? The family of God in heaven, they don't even know. And then this, nor the Son. What's that all about? Well, Jesus is being honest, right? Take yourself back to that historical context. At his incarnation, when he added humanity to his deity, he joyfully, willingly, voluntarily gave up for a time during his incarnation the independent use of his divine attributes, right? The independent full use of his divine attributes, In his humanity, though he certainly could access the fullness of his power and knowledge, and even in the Gospels, we see him doing that at times, right? He knew their hearts, statements like that. He could access those, the fullness of those attributes. But during his humanity, beloved, listen, he chose to limit himself for a time that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest for us. How beautiful that is. In no way diminishing his deity, He did this willingly. And so in the present, as he speaks here, the son doesn't know, but he says, but the father alone does. The father knows. And so don't spend your time speculating specifics about such matters because only God knows the details. Even so, there's a lesson for us here, and I want you to hear this lesson. Look at the repeated exhortation in verse 33. What's the lesson? Take heed. Keep On the alert, he says, for you do not know when the appointed time will come. By the way, those are present tense commands. Take heed, keep on the alert, continually look after yourself in the light of my return, in light of these things that I've instructed you about. Continually stay awake, he says. It's a command. There's a sense of urgency here that Jesus is telling us to not be caught asleep in light of his return. And then the master illustrator says in verse 34, notice, It is like a man away on a journey who upon leaving his house and putting his slaves in charge, assigning to each one his task, also commanded the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. I love this. The master of the home, Jesus says, goes on a journey, leaving his servants in charge, which is something that would happen commonly. But in his absence, in his absence, he gives them authority to carry out certain tasks. He gives them authority and he gives them certain tasks that they each, ha- they each have work to do in the absence of the master. And all the while he's gone, they are to live mindful. Mindful of what? A, that he will return. B, that he could return at any time. And by implication here, that they will give an account to their master for how they stewarded his resources. That's here. Why else would he be exhorting us this way? And so my qu- the question is, how are they to live in the meantime as they await his return? That's the question we should ask here. Answer, they are to remember that this is their master's home, not theirs. They are simply servants. They are simply stewards. Here it is, who are to faithfully manage the affairs of their masters. They are to be faithful. They are to be faithful. Jesus really wants to make this point, so he repeats himself. Look at verse 35. Therefore, be on the alert. Why, Lord? For you do not know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening, at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning. Verse 36. In case he should come suddenly and find you asleep, what I say to you, I say to all, be on the alert. See the repetition? Look at verse 33. Take heed, keep on the alert. Why? For you do not know when the appointed time will come. Verse 35. Therefore be on the alert. Why? For you do not know when the master of the house is coming. You don't know the future, says the Lord. You can't guarantee tomorrow, but you can certainly live faithful in the present, right? Isn't that what he's getting at? There are implications for the reality that he is returning So therefore, stay awake, be watchful, live faithfully in the light of my return. That's what he's saying. Sort of reminds me of James chapter 4. Go there with me, okay? James chapter 4. Reminds me of James chapter 4 and verse 13, where James rebukes Christians, Jewish Christians here in the book of James, on presuming upon God. James chapter 4, verse 13. Notice what he says. This is a rebuke, an exhortation 
by Jesus' half-brother who later on came to know Christ as his Savior. He says in James 4.13, Come now, you who say, here's what they say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business, and engage in business, excuse me, and make a profit. This is what they say. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute, James. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with plans? What's wrong with working hard? I mean, aren't we instructed in the Proverbs to work hard? Isn't planning good? Isn't it wise to be purposeful? Well, of course. But the problem is that some people presume upon God and even subtly might might operate atheistically without acknowledging God in their planning as if they were in total control of their future, right? And so James exposes the problem. Look at verse 14. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. You know not the future, and you're taking life for granted. Well, help us, James. What's the balance? Look at verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord, what, beloved? Wills. If the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. What's God's word saying to us there? That in the process of making plans and being purposeful, we should always remember to acknowledge God's hand in it, to remember that the mind of man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps, right? It's the Lord who establishes any of our plans. And so always remember that God has veto power with regard to anything that you plan for the future. He is providential. He is sovereign over it all. And so you ask, Pastor, so what's my responsibility then? I'm glad you asked. It's to be faithful. Doesn't that, isn't that what life really comes down to for us as believers? We have put our trust and rest in the faithful one, and that doesn't change. The faithful one is Jesus, whose atoning work is finished. But now, out of a heart of love and gratitude for his saving us, we seek to be faithful and to be well-pleasing to the Lord. Amen? That's our life, to be faithful. Jesus says, be careful with pontificating too much about the specifics you don't know about. In light of my imminent return, like those wise servants in that parable, the stewards, take heed, be alert so as to be faithful. Don't get caught sleeping on the steering wheel of life. That's really his message. This week I was reading about John Wesley, how he was once asked a question, Mr. Wesley, how would you live your life if you knew Jesus was returning tomorrow? How would you live your life if you knew without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus was returning tomorrow? How would you live your life? Immediately, Wesley quietly took out his diary and then he proceeded to read this, his list of appointments for the next day. Here's what I would do. And he said, these are the very things I would do tomorrow if I knew the Lord was returning then. A purposeful man. He was already, he already had written those things down. And you see, beloved, that is a type of purposefulness, of intentionality, of deliberateness that God wants from each and every one of us, all the while always being submissive to his will. Lord, if you change these plans, show me, close the door, open the door, always acknowledging his providence in it all, right? That's how he wants us to live. Faithfulness for us as believers, it's really what it comes down to, beloved. Faithfulness. Even the Apostle Paul knew this. 1 Corinthians 4.1, he says, Let a man regard us as apostles in this manner, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, because we are servants and stewards of God's work, he says this, It is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy, faithful, dependable, he says. You see, as we contemplate life, We don't, in an ultimate sense, have control over everything that happens, right? All of us, to some extent or another, are experiencing things like these right now. We don't know what the future holds. We don't know how certain things will be in the future. Whether financially, whether a work situation, whether home life, family life, whatever you are doing, we don't know. We don't know how things will pan out. Only God knows those things perfectly, right? 
All we can do, brothers and sisters, is to live conscious of the Lord and by His grace seek to be faithful to what we know He's called us to do here in this world, whatever it may be, right? Whatever it may be. So you may be in a tough work situation right now. You don't know what's going to happen in the future. Can I ask you, are you laboring in that workplace mindful of the return of Christ? Or is your hope on how they respond to you? Is your hope on whether you will get that promotion? Is your hope on favorable circumstances in that work situation? Or is it, you know what, I know how the story ends. Jesus is returning someday. I want to live well in the light of that. I want to glorify and exalt Christ as in my attitude, in my example, and continue to work hard with my hands, providing for my family, etc. You may be struggling financially. Are you striving by God's grace to cultivate contentment in Christ in light of the King's return? One thing we can be sure of is that God is teaching all of us contentment in Him, right? That He will provide. Teach us. He wants, us to, he wants to know from us, am I enough? Am I sufficient? Am I the exalted Christ really sufficient? Am I enough for your soul, for your rest? In all of these circumstances, this is how Christ is testing us. You may be in a tough situation at home. Maybe a non-believing spouse. Maybe non-believing family members, close or distant. Are you living your life peacefully, striving by God's grace to be an example of Christ's likeness that you may have opportunities and inroads to speak the gospel to those family members in light of Christ's return? Knowing how the story ends. All of these challenging circumstances, you see. All of these and many others require that we live mindful of the Lord's return. You say, Pastor, I I, I failed miserably every single day. Amen? Preach it. Amen? I do too. Every single day. There have been many a time when I've had to come to my dear wife and ask for forgiveness. Not trusting the Lord. Ask for the forgiveness of one of my dear children. By the way, we ought to be doing that more and more, right? Part of the way that we model and we flesh the gospel reconciliation before our our families is also men, especially by being broken over our sin and seeking the forgiveness of our spouses and of our kids and you ladies as well. So we're all weak in this area. We will fail miserably, but that is why we put our trust not in our faithfulness, but in the faithful one who is Jesus, right? We stand in his righteousness. We stand upon the wonderful work that he has accomplished on our behalf already. And the faithful life that Jesus is calling us to here is a life of gratitude and love in response to his saving grace in our life. Not so that we could achieve salvation somehow. And so when we fail, and we surely will, we know that we can come to him, right? We know that we can confess our sin that we can receive forgiveness, that we can be renewed once again to live victoriously in the light of future glory. What are some other ways that we can live faithfully in the light of the King's return? Let me give you three more, okay? By God's grace, strive to be holy. Live faithfully by striving to be like Christ. Listen to 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be We know that when he appears, listen to this, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. Speaking of Christ's appearance, and here it is, and everyone who has this hope fixed on him, fixed on his appearing, purifies himself just as he is pure. John says, you want to know what it means to live faithfully in the light of his return? Seek to be like him as you await his return. Seek to be set apart from sin. And living for Christ. Here's another one. By God's grace, commit to the church. By God's grace, commit to the church. For the glory of Christ. For the good of others. For your benefit. For your spiritual benefit. This is especially pertinent here. Pertinent. In the light of everything that we're experiencing in our world. I'm going to be going to a conference in Northern California in September and two other speaking engagements. And I want you to know that the one thing that I'm going to be preaching on, one, Christ, but the other one is that more than anything, churches need to be fostering and promoting and cultivating discipleship in the church. 
on the heels of such devastating times that we've been living in. The importance of discipleship. That's why that's the theme of our church this year. Cultivating discipleship. What is discipleship? The cultivating of intentional relationships for the purpose of growth in Christ in the context of the local church. The cultivating of intentional purposeful relationships with the goal of conformity to Jesus in the context of the church. You cannot operate isolated or independent outside of the church, brothers and sisters, especially on the heels of what we've experienced. You need the body of Christ. First and foremost, you need Christ. And then the implic- out of implication, he's given his bride so that we would be plugged into the life of the church for his glory, for your benefit, for your good. For the benefit of others. Hebrews 10.24 Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some. But encouraging one another. Here it is. And all the more. Do these things. Stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Don't forsake the assembly of uh, of one another. Don't do that as is a habit of some. Encourage one another. All the more. Here it is. As you see the day drawing near. As you see the day drawing near, as you anticipate the king's return, all the more be committed to body life. All the more. Commit to the church. Finally, I should go without saying, how can you be ready for the return of Christ? Above all, by making sure your soul belongs to Christ. Make sure that your soul belongs to Christ. Maybe you're here this morning and You've never put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You've never committed your life to Him. You've never rested in His forgiveness. You've never received eternal life. Can I encourage you and exhort you today? Repent and believe in the gospel. Stop living for yourself. Live out the purpose for which God has created you to to glorify Him and enjoy Him. And that can happen right now as you put your trust in Jesus alone. You cannot save yourself. It's not by works of righteousness, as we heard, which we can do, that we can gain favor before God somehow. It's based upon faith in the merits of Christ. It's by coming with empty hands of faith and saying, Lord, I have nothing except my sin. Please forgive me. Please reconcile me to yourself. I want to trust in Jesus. This is the greatest way that we can live faithfully in the light of Christ's return. Listen to me. One day soon you will face your Creator, the one true God, and when you face Him, You must be perfectly righteous, perfectly righteous before him. And none of us are perfectly righteous. So when you face God someday, will you try to stand somehow based upon some righteousness of your own? Or will you be clothed in the alien righteousness, the outside of yourself righteousness of Christ? Trust in him today. Live no longer for yourself. Trust in Christ and in so doing, live in the light of of his return. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you, Lord, for these sobering words from Christ. We thank you for the reminder this morning that while it is wonderful and beautiful and precious and faith strengthening to be reminded of the end of days and the return of our Lord, Father, you have us even here in the presentness to live on mission. Help us to be about the Great Commission. I think about Acts chapter 1, when Jesus ascended and he disappeared in the clouds. And your messengers, the angels, told the disciples, this Jesus will come back just as you have seen him depart. For now, be his witnesses. Proclaim Christ. Proclaim an exalted Jesus who is returning to judge the living and the dead and to reward his those who belong to him. Father, help us to be about that. Help that all of these things that we've learned in Mark chapter 13 concerning the last days, that they would fuel us, Father, that they would fuel us all the more to be about the mission of the Great Commission. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Scripture quotations taken from the New American Standard Bible. Copyright by the Lockman Foundation.